Welcome again, everyone, to another episode of Doc's Point of View Podcast. Today I got to have a conversation with a phenomenal corpsman. His career path is even more diverse than the last guy I got to chat with, but he is also a hospital corpsman second class with no official specialty. You ever been walking through the Navy Exchange and wonder why all the Naval Pride and Heritage gear is horrifically ugly and you wouldn't actually wear it? Have you ever wanted some really cool gear and you just don't know where to go? Well, I got you, fam. Go to dgutsapparel.com immediately. Get yourself some Naval Pride and Heritage gear you'll actually wear in public. Uh, We're working on new designs all the time, open to ideas. We're trying to create a brand that uh, lets you display that pride, but doesn't make you cringe. Uh, also, if you're willing to and you're able to, please go to patreon.com slash podcast, pick one of the five tiers, and become a patron today. In today's conversation, we discussed certain topics, but mainly dove into the weeds about his career path specifically, what platforms he, he served on, how he got to serve with other branches, and with other rates outside the Corman community. But we also talked about some stuff that he does on the outside, stuff that he does on the side, which I find very interesting. He is someone that I admire and look up to, even though he is considered a junior sailor. And I say that because his character and his mindset is well beyond what you would expect for someone at that point in their career. I hope I get to cross paths with him in the future, and I I believe we will, but I I hope he leaves this command and goes on and does great things. I don't want to spoil any more of our conversation, so let's dive into it. Please enjoy. Okay, welcome. Uh, just like with any other guests, I'd like to open up to you. So tell me who you are, what you are, and what you've done so far in the Navy. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. <clears throat> I'm uh, currently a hospital corpsman in second class on a uh, logistical combat element uh, rotation out on the East Coast currently. Um, I've been in for about almost six years now. I feel like I've experienced a lot in these past, past six years that... A lot of corpsmen do not get the opportunity to, so I feel like it'd be pretty uh, pretty cool to experience that with everybody. Uh, share that at least. Joined joined the Navy around 2017. Um, didn't initially think I was going to be a corpsman. It's not what I uh, wished upon my naval career. Uh, not what I had planned. I originally planned to be an air crewman. Uh, I would like to be like with the AWO flavor. Um, just kind of fly around, get to look for submarines, cool stuff like that. Uh, but unfortunately, I didn't have it when I went to MEPS, so last thing I had was Corman. So uh, they made some connections, try to get it uh, written in for me. But we got it, and it's probably been the best thing I've done since joining the Navy. I uh, love it so far. So what was your first duty station? Coming out of A school, uh, I got random orders to Quantico, Virginia for about six months, which I had no idea what it was. I uh, just kind of went into a blind. Uh, got there, and they said, welcome, you're going to... Uh, Operation Bulldog, which is basically um, the Quantico, Virginia, where they do the Marine Corps OCS officer candidate school. They need an influx of junior corpsmen to fill the role of uh, doing sit call, doing field coverages, um, kind of learning how to be a corpsman, and also helping them with numbers when it comes to uh, manning. 
So about, I'd say about 30 to 40 of us, brand new corpsmen, uh, went out there and just kind of soak in as much as we could. But we were there for about six months. I think that's really what catalyst my uh, my love for medicine and being a corpsman <clears throat> is learning my field medicine there. Uh, started out just working with all the docs and all my uh, senior second class as much as I could, trying to learn. Um, which I would stay, got there at zero five, wouldn't wouldn't leave till about probably seventeen hundred every day, just trying to put the work in and figure out what I actually needed to do. When it comes to sit call, how to write notes, how to properly be prepared for field coverages and everything like that. Um, so yeah, I learned pretty much everything you could ever want to know as a corpsman there in that time frame, which is awesome, which was my first experience with Marines as well, being on a Marine Corps base, which is very different than a Navy base, as some of you guys know. Um, yeah, fast forward six months, left there. Um, after that, went down to... Uh, Southern Florida, uh, worked at a very small clinic, about the same size as the other clinic. Uh, from there, I worked a little bit of mixture. I was in uh, family medicine, just all kind of dependents and whoever else that needed to come by for sick call or schedule appointments, which was not so fun in my opinion, but it was good to know um, for the physical exams and all that stuff for the future. Um, did my time there, uh, worked very closely with my independent duty corpsman. He was a first class. He came from uh, from a prior Naval Special Warfare Command, um, which me being a very junior corpsman excited my interest in uh, the special community. So I picked his brain as much as I could, uh, learned how to be an, a junior corpsman to an IDC, a baby doc. Um, and then from there, I took that knowledge and I started mud pupping, which is a weird term in the Navy for, you're, you don't have an NEC, but you're working under um, an NEC essentially. You get to come out and PT with all the guys um, and do whatever trainings they, they request of you. Isn't that usually with, like, MARSOC, IDCs? Yep, and yep. for SOIDC. special programs, yeah. Uh, but I was with the search and rescue medical technicians, um, the guys down there that got to fly around in the H-60s and the Seahawks uh, performing uh, SAR search and rescue missions. So it was pretty cool. Got to see what they do on a daily basis, uh, work in their, their space and kind of see everything that goes on there. Uh, doing that, learned a lot of trauma medicine, um, a lot of aviation medicine as well, um, which that was my first exposure to other rates in the Navy. Because as corpsmen, we don't really get exposed to other rates besides just corpsmen yeah, exactly. or maybe RPs or stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, I got to work in the shop, got to hang out with like the AMs, ADs, ATs, uh, rescue swimmers, everything like that it was pretty cool. Um, and that's where I picked up my first warfare device, which was pretty interesting because it's a, it's a shore duty, but it's still, I think they classified the pin uh, because it's a search and rescue, like active hanger. You're able to get your pin there, which is pretty sweet, uh, which that was very weird because I'm not used to aviation stuff at all and having to learn how the engines work and the hydraulic systems and airframes was very different, but banged it out in a couple months and got my first pin for air warfare. Um, and from there, I chose orders. Uh, didn't get what I wanted. I wanted to go be a uh, baby doc on a small boy out in Japan or something like that. But got needs in the navies and head to the East Coast to the LCE unit. Um, which everything happens for a reason, in my uh, personal opinion. So I wouldn't change it for the world. Uh, but this unit, I've uh, been here for a couple years now. About to rotate to another unit soon. But yeah, it's been been fun. 
Okay, I want to go back to that first duty station you talked about. You know, most women are going to go to A school and then go straight to probably a blue side clinic or maybe even a green side operational billet. But you got put on this like temporary six month. It's almost like a TAD, if anything. Right. Yep. Which is pretty cool. Not 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 a lot of us get that. The only the only thing I know of in the Navy that's similar to that is people going from boot camp to the ceremonial guard mm-hmm. in DC. Mm-hmm. Do you think that experience kind of spearheaded your your career so far after that with in regards to the medical care or the skill set you attained there? Oh, no doubt. Uh, my time there, I got to experience all different types of uh, corpsmen. I got to experience x-ray techs, lab techs, pharmacy techs. I uh, even got to shadow some SOIDCs, special operations IDCs, for you guys who don't know that. Um, and then our, just our regular surface IDCs as well. I get to kind of hang under their wing and kind of figure out what I want to do with my life from there. Yeah, I, mean, I think you have a you have a really cool career path story, and that's obviously a reason why I wanted you to come on there or on here on this podcast. I feel like that experience mimics or mirrors kind of where you went from there. I mean, you're about to go to a new command, which is kind of a special program. Uh, we don't really want to get too in the weeds with that, but you getting ex- exposed to the SOIDC community and other types of technicians in such a short time frame, it, it kind of seems like you fell back on that experience a lot at this current command that we're at, because me and you are both there, you know, at the same command. And knowing you and being a friend of yours the past two years, you really used that experience, which is really cool. Because at this com- command, if I'm correct, you you kind of feel a you kind of feel a NEC billet without holding that NEC. And I want to get into that in a you know in a few minutes or now. But I still want to talk about that time you did at the Bulldog. So were you were you doing a lot of field stuff, or were you doing mostly like primary care and sick call? Right. Uh, <clears throat> so we had two different types of TAD personnel there. We had our PSIs, um, which is all of our A school kids that just come there, and th- those PSIs just strictly work in the clinic for the most part. Um, but if you want to shadow, you can always branch out. Uh, so my primary duty was to uh, do the sick call every morning, right, and then appointments after. But then we had our augmentees, which were previously field corpsmen um, that have gone on to a shore command after their greenside. And they're primarily the um, field corpsmen for that coverages and stuff like that. But I think since then, everything's changed a little bit. So it may be a little bit different now for anybody that could be going to either. But that was your time yep. when you were there. Yep. Yeah. I mean, things change all the time. I mean, when I went to core school it was probably wildly different from right. when you went to core school, even though it was only like a three year difference. Yeah. Right. Yep. Okay. So I, I'm a big component or I'm, I'm a big advocate that corpsmen need to learn sit call early on. And I think that's the found, the foundation that we utilize throughout our career. Yep. So was that a positive? I mean, obviously it is, but can you talk about how sit call is a primary uh, fundamental skill that we use? Yeah, it's like any job, knowing your what your actually your job is, the basics of it is, I mean, the best thing to do to start off, right? <clears throat> yeah. So, like, as soon as we got there, we had our uh, providers that also were TAD there as well. Mm-hmm. 
came in and introduced, introduced our, themselves to us. We introduced ourselves to them. Uh, then a couple days later, we kicked off six call screeners, which a lot of people do nowadays. Uh, but basically, it was just PowerPoints where they would start off with uh, whatever system we were going over that day and break it down really basic for us that did not know anything. Um, just going through eyes, like ENT, musculoskeletal system, everything, just so we knew we had a good baseline to start from, which I think was very important for my career. Because the biggest thing I preach to my junior sailors is knowing the basics. Once you know the basics, then you can start branching off to uh, more advanced techniques and skill sets. Yeah, it sounds like you have very similar experience to what I had because you were doing sick call primary care for only active duty and you're doing right. it pretty much for a very limited uh, age of scope, I guess you could say. Right, yeah, we just had candidates. Um, young. So, yep, exactly. Candidates 17 are, to 24-ish was our primary population. most of the time they're pretty healthy. Right. <laughs> it's kind of like the boot camp setting, so they're kind of like robotic in a sense, right? Very, so yeah. We don't have to worry about being careful of what, not careful what we say right but like of how we approach people as like there are actual patients in the fleet so it's a little bit different mindset yeah I, I can see how that could lead down the wrong path okay yeah because like for for my experience when I did sick call at my first command it was very much the IDC is trying to teach us how to take their job right yep and I I often fondly you know look back at that time as very positive towards my career even though I don't really do that now mm-hmm. but I guess my position my rank at this point you know I've transitioned to a more administrative role mm-hmm. okay so from there uh, you went to yeah like you said a small clinic uh, which you should have been doing because uh, from my experience of knowing how clinics run you should be doing pretty much the same thing as yep. you were doing at, you know, Bulldog, right? Yep, very, very similar stuff. Um, just a little bit different patient population. Um, mixing in the beneficiaries with that as well, which is a little bit different. But still, once you know the basics, you can start adding stuff onto it. So. so did you go there and just do primary care again? Or were you, like, with your experience, did they say, hey, this guy already knows what he's doing. Let's put him in a, you know, in a different role. No, they, they pretty much, uh, all the new guys kind of get, get through either the aerospace medicine, um, which pretty much... Fancy term for flight physicals, um, or they we go over primary that. care. Yeah. yeah, I did a lot of flight physicals yeah. in the clinic. Yeah, no, because my clinic was a blue site clinic for all personnel, and then there was the aviation medicine, which was all the shore and sea duty. Uh, so you got both of them, all the flyers. Yeah, we, we had P threes, P eights, those type of squadrons at, oh, at the clinic I was at. Nice. I was also in you know same geographical area as you were. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so you could either go one of the two routes. Um, because of my experience, I requested to go to the family medicine side because uh, that's kind of what I was most comfortable with, and I just wanted to enhance that and work with my providers a little bit more and get more in-depth on that. Was your population yeah. still active duty, or were you seeing um, dependents as well? So at first, I worked very closely with my doctor, mm-hmm. uh, my senior medical officer, um, and I was pretty much all only seeing beneficiaries for the first couple months, so then... I started working pretty close with my uh, independent duty corpsman. From there, it was only active duty population, which I enjoy way more than doing well. I think we all (laughs) agree that we enjoy seeing active duty. I I feel like the scope is wider with active duty. Right. I don't really understand why, but, you know, the IDCs allow us to do more of their job when it's active duty. Right. I feel like it's also, I'm a very mission driven person 
And uh, if my mission is just seeing beneficiaries for when they're sick, then I feel like I'm not accomplishing much. But even the slight active duty change definitely brightens my mindset. So at what point in your time there did you get to get to work with the aviation side and get that, you know, aviation warfare qualification? Yeah, so that was, so I checked in, yep, so I'd say about six months or so. Um, I just kind of put my nose down and try to put in a good name for myself. Did you volunteer or was it a voluntold? No, I I definitely volunteered just because I wanted to be that guy to go out and do the cool stuff with the cool guys. Yeah, I I feel like Corman, like you said, we don't get a lot of experience with other Navy rates. Mm -hmm. Definitely not with aviation. Aviation and medical are very, even though we do have to do patient care with those rates, but as as far as working with them, we're very... Uh, there's a lot of distance between us. Yeah, unless you hold those specific NECs. Nobody wants to be an AVT. <laughs> Nobody. No. Nobody wants to do flight for the schools their whole no. career. Yep. Uh, I almost did AVT, actually. No, Someone told me wisely, please shred that package. 100%. So, how, but what what was the work, uh, what was the work center like with the aviation crew? Were you like going out on flights with them or were you working in a a indoor uh, office like you would in a clinic? Um, so it was a little bit kind of a weird, not your typical, I guess, scenario. We only had three um, search and rescue med techs at the clinic currently, so they're very undermanned, which they still kind of are undermanned. Uh, so they're just requesting people for coverages, requesting people for whatever they could, for trainings, all that type of stuff. So I'd always request myself, or volunteer myself to go out and help them. Um, yeah, but they would work in the clinic, uh, seeing patients every now and then. And if they weren't in the clinic, they'd be over in the, uh, search and rescue hangar. From there, they'd be doing training or be on standby for flights or they'd be flying themselves. Uh, so were you there as a medical asset or you were there as? Both training and, well, I, I wouldn't be the primary medical asset because that's their job because mm-hmm. they have a duty rotation there. So you're kind of just OJTing basically exactly. with yeah. SMTs? Yep. Mud puffing. Yep. Exactly. Okay, so mud pupping, I'm thinking of like SOIDC type mud pupping, but you are saying mud pupping is more than just with the special operations guys, it's more with any NEC? Yeah, uh, well, well, yeah, SMTs are kind of that weird gray special, area. They want, want to be they special. Be special. <laughs> yeah, want to be special. Let's area. make that clear. They yeah. want to be special. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was not, I wouldn't say hazing, but it was a lot of. Um, a lot of good exercise. Good education. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay, we'll call it that. Yep. I think me and you joined at the end of Yeah. What you would call hazing. That phase, yeah. I don't think I ever I was never hazed. Hmm. That makes one of us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm no, gonna I'm gonna say that I'm optimistically. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> there Yeah, there was times where it's questionable, but whatever. Okay, so you did that, but you also did I don't think you touched on it. You didn't you do a Deployment with the Coast Guard. With yeah, that was also very weird and out of the ordinary for our rate as well. Um, I so don't know a single person that's been deployed with the Coast Guard. I don't either. Well, any other Navy people. Um, but so, yeah. <clears throat> so what happened is we had a preventive medicine technician at our clinic. Uh, and he routinely, or they routinely would go out to the Coast Guard base and start doing inspections on the ships and make sure they were good to go health-wise, uh, galley-wise for deployments. Uh, and I was still pretty junior at that time. I've been to the clinic 
I would say I'd be still around that six, seven, eight month mark ish. Mm-hmm. And um, he's like, "Hey, come tag along with me. We're really good, dude." So is this at the same time that you were with the aviation crew? Yep, all in the same. I would I'd work back and forth. Well, so. I'm gonna assume and guess that it was all because of networking. Oh, 100 percent. Just because I, I, you were I at the right place, yep. right time, exactly. right people, and they're like, "Hey, we got a guy that wants to yep. tag along with us." Exactly. Um, really good people. Uh, I try to get my name out there, shaking hands, introduce myself as much as I could, get a good reputation because that's everything in the Navy. Everything. Everything. And um, I didn't know that at the time as a HN, but <laughs> yeah. Most people don't blindly walk into those opportunities. Right. I was a little motivated. A little it's, it's played out well though. Yep. Uh, but yeah, the. The PMT, he uh, took me along for a little inspection. Uh, we did a little small boy. They call them FRCs, fast reaction cutters. Mm-hmm. Um, we did inspection. It was pretty cool. And then we went over to the bigger ship. Um, I believe they call it a WMEC, um, medium endurance cutter. And uh, went up there. We did inspection on their galley. Everything was good to go. We talked with our XO, and she directly requested a baby doc to assist her IDC. So. And you were by name? Oh, I was right place, right time. I was there. You raised your hand. Exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's. Yep. I, I, everything that has been beneficial for me is I raised my hand quicker than others. Yep, exactly. And, I was, and I volunteered at every opportunity I could. Exactly. Yeah, I just routed a little. It's kind of weird. Routed a request through my chief mm-hmm. to see if I could leave for a couple months. And she said, yep, good to go. So. Nice. Yep. Uh, we did three month ish uh, deployment, if you would say, down to Central America. More than most corpsmen, so, we'll say that. Yes, one hundred percent. Yeah, but I just had a uh, an IDC, which she went through independent duty HS because they don't have corpsmen in the, in the Coast Guard. They're health service technicians. But we're very we're very similar. Yes. Different titles, and I think even right now they're doing this recruiting. We're doing this recruiting, you know, tool where you can lat transfer over to the Coast Guard. Yeah. And they basically, they, yeah, I, I talked to, I think I talked to a guy on Reddit who was pushing out that, you know, flyer and information saying, hey, we're looking, we need this many E3s, this many E4s. You basically just have to, you know, get conditionally released from the Navy and join us, which I think is crazy since, you know, pretty much no one's getting conditionally released right now. Right. But they, they don't require you to go to any extra school. So I, I, when I say we're similar, we have very similar schools, I think, and we do very similar jobs, and we have the the scope is the same. Yeah, they can even attend some of our C schools and independent duty independent duty corpsman schools as well. So mm-hmm. they can I remember having Coast Guard guys at A school when I was there. Yeah, them, and then we also were with Air Force. Yes, but yeah, we just had I was one baby doc under her, and then. Um, that was really about it. Uh, they, she, they wanted me there for extra medical support. Uh, our mission set was more of like anti-narcotic, anti-piracy in that area of operations, mm-hmm. uh, which we we stopped a lot of cocaine uh, from entering the United States, which was awesome. Um, it was my real first vision of I now have a mission, right? Mm-hmm. Um, You're not just coming to work and doing sick call. Exactly. I'm not doing a nine to five job in a clinic somewhere. I actually have a mission set and I get to perform it every day. I think so. that would drastically change people's mindset if they were tasked out to something like that or deployed with something with a real mission or real intent versus 
looking at what we do as a nine to five corporate job. Exactly. Two totally different things. Working 12 hour days Mm -hmm. versus working a nine to five is completely different. But that was fun. Hit a couple port stops, uh, which were really fun. Mm -hmm. Um, There came back and kind of went back on the same route I was going before. Um, Yeah, I guess. I see some stuff on the wall here. Uh, I would assume you earned that. Hey, just tell, let's, let's just tell the audience what we see here. Yeah, so uh, I have two different certificates. One on the wall here in front of us is the Order of the Ditch, which some of you may know, but just transiting through the Panama Canal. Uh, so that was around our area of operations. We had to go through the canal, which is pretty fun. It was a 24-hour evolution for us. So just constantly just being on the alert. I want to say and, you know. these type of certificates are not very – there's not many corpsmen that have these on the, you know – Blue side clinic and green side. Right. It's mostly the the shippies. Yep. The guys on the you know the gray holes that yep. have these. Yep. And I got that this one, and then I have uh I don't have it up currently, but I have another one, the order of the shellback, which I'm pretty proud of. As you say. should. Yeah. That's yep. the tradition of those two are really cool. Yep. And you you got those on the coast guard. Yep. Which is very weird. I don't like telling people because they'll they think it's watered down, but from the bright. stories I've told. It's very different from what the Navy's been going through. I would brag to everybody. Yeah. Our, um, what would you call it? Our traditional shellback initiation was a week long versus some people I've talked to has only been a day. So. Was, oh, that uh, sounds rough. Yeah, it was It was fun. It was very fun. No hazing, of course. Oh, no, no, no. no. Okay, so uh, you did the, the deployment, mm-hmm. and then you probably still had at least another year or so at that command did yep. you just go back to the clinic and did yep. your thing and yep. until you PCS I went back to the clinic and I worked very closely under my ADC uh, just seeing active duty and then floating around doing as I needed with other stuff as well but from that point I became very disgruntled at, at the Navy I feel like not at the Navy but just at my situation because mm-hmm. I just did three months where I got very close with, my, with a bunch of my guys and then I had an actual mission set right for those three months then coming back, I'm now seeing sit call and dependence again. And I think a lot of people have that same emotion when they go from an operational billet to a blue side clinic or hospital where they're like, this is what I'm going to be doing for the next X amount of years. Yeah, it's a little demoralizing, I will say. Yep. Some people like that. I mean, yeah, some people yeah. are cool with like, hey, I'm just going to show up to work, do my thing, and go home. Yep. But Decrease the op tempo. A lot of people like you, um, I don't think you just blindly ended up in these you know opportunities I think it's who you are and you're not going to be okay with just doing the 9 to 5 or the typical Corman career path now let's bring that to your time here where we are currently an LCE platform mm-hmm. you didn't just sit around and do anything here either right no. uh, the first year me and you were both I think we were TA together all what Two or three times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we literally went TAD together every single time. Mm-hmm. We didn't really have much time in between those TADs. But after we got back and all that settled, you started doing a lot of the in-route care type stuff. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah, so once we got to this command, um, like you just said, we are TAD. Well, at least I was TAD for the first nine months out of the, the year so it was very frustrating frustrating but, was, but was hey good. at least we came somewhere and we had a 
mission set because right. now do we do we want to talk highly about that mission set you know it, it doesn't matter what the mission is but we we were tasked out to do something and it wasn't exercises I'll right. say that much right. like I, I I was kind of disgruntled being gone a lot but and I shouldn't anyway because we really weren't that gone we right. weren't gone that much yeah it was these are short short-lived taskers but we weren't we're just doing field ops and now looking back i'm pretty proud of you know of the mission we were part of because there's gonna be a lot of you know 10 years down the road you know that's gonna be like probably the highlight of our first you know first tour or two now yeah. we don't know what's gonna happen in the future but as far as that first you know enlistment or second enlistment there was something that we were involved with mm-hmm. and I look fondly on that now, maybe not at the time. But what are, what are your thoughts on your time being tasked out? Yeah. You immediately come into a CD command. Yeah, it. Um, I was told because I as soon as I checked in, got my FMF book. It's like, all right, cool. You have ninety days. They can't touch you for ninety days, and then you're good to go. After that, you're allowed to get tasked out to wherever they want. It's okay, sweet. And then probably about. Maybe two weeks go by, and then I already got put on Tasker, which was and very... I was right there with you. <laughs> yep, exactly, right next to Because I think I checked in like two weeks after you got there. Yep, which was... Uh, I was okay with it. I mean, just something a little different. Um, but what we did, uh, controversial, but it really had a very big impact on the DoD as a whole. Um, DoD and probably the nation itself, the first couple TADs we went on. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, very high op tempo. We weren't there very often. Not very long, but didn't have a lot of time in between. We tried to stay on that first tasker longer, but yeah, yeah. and we got told, hey, you're not going to go on this other one because no. we're like, cool, we don't want to go. Got a bigger one. And yeah. then we got pulled the next week, right? Yeah. We had like a, we had our checkout sheet, or no, we had a check-in sheet and a checkout sheet in, the, in two different hands, yeah. getting them both signed at the same yeah. time. Yeah, it was uh, very interesting. It's good to learn that side of the house, though, um, without saying too much, but... But yeah, my first week on board, um, I heard about this thing called in-route care. Uh, I should maybe check it out. Uh, so I believe my like fourth day on board, I uh, reached out to a certain individual and uh, asked, how do I do this? And he ran me through the gambit, and then we started our process. Unfortunately, due to all these TADs, it kind of got extended a little bit further than what I would like. But after the TADs, we eventually got to go to all the schooling, mm-hmm. which you want to go into that. Just talk about what you learned in the schools, yep. I guess. Gotcha. Yep. So, uh, in route care, uh, as you can take it, air, land, or sea, right? I <clears throat> uh, learned a lot of uh, more trauma medicine, I would say, because um, mm-hmm. as before, I was just on a clinic. So, I learned a lot of um, sick call and admin type stuff. But now we're moving on to more trauma based medicine. And I think me and you're in the same boat here. We both were very uh, clinic based mm-hmm. and or military medicine based. And then when we came here, we started diving more into the prolonged care, mm-hmm. nursing type care. Mm-hmm. You know, the actual medicine behind what we're doing, and transferring people to where they need to go. Right. Yeah. Um, it was a very interesting training pipeline, I would say, because um, normal corpsman, you learn teachable C, right? Mm-hmm. Um, very. I would say it's simple because it is still. Medicine's always complicated. Um, very systematic approach, right? We've got it down pretty good packed. Uh, but once you start moving on to 
once Teachable is done, it gets into, into the weeds a little bit as far as what happens after that. Um, so that's where all the critical care uh, medicine comes into play, all the teaching for that. Uh, then you go on to prolonged field care, and then et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so the schoolhouses I went to pretty much teach what to do on the point of injury for a non-tactical environment, um, and then what to do in, in route. And then from there, I went to another training in another spot where pretty much taught more nurse level. I was one of two corpsmen, and the other one was a respiratory tech. And to clarify, this school was you know mainly officers, mainly yes. critical care nurses. Yep. Um, so you are literally the least educated person there. One hundred percent. I and felt you, like I was the least educated. Probably felt overwhelmed. Oh no doubt. I was the only eighty four four or LO three alpha corpsman we'll in, the, in the class. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I was surrounded by nurses. It was a primarily army course, uh, mm-hmm. so that was also another element that was a little thrown off, but. Yeah, learned how to do more advanced procedures en route. Um, and I got to figure out the why we did stuff in that course as well. Not just, here, this is what you're supposed to do when this happens, go do it. And now I get to learn the why. Which is a how when I explain to people what, what is a corpsman, you know, and you, you may make some people mad when you say this, but, you know, we're like, they nurse without the education. Right. Yeah. We do a lot of the hands-on stuff that nurses are, you know, skilled in doing, but... As far as the education behind it, the why, and the more nitty gritty on the physiology and medicine behind it, we don't, we're not educated in that. Right. So what you're saying is that that school, that's what you're learning more of, yep. right? Exactly. Cool. So, trying to think. Once you got back from those schools, you kind of you uh i'm trying to portray this right you you came back and pretty much took over the program right right you became the subject matter expert in in route care and i'll 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 go into a little bit of depth of what we do at our command our platform is more of a we're not a roll one we're like that next echelon up right Mm -hmm. so your job in that echelon of care is to once you know because I'm in the other, I'm not in the ERC, I'm in, you know, the frontline section of our echelon. So, like, we'll patch them up, and then if they, if we need to, you know, take that Marine or Sailor back, if they're able to go back, you know, that's where you come in. Or if we need to take them to the next echelon up, that's also where you go. Because right. you're basically the transport for our echelon, mm-hmm. correct? Yep, exactly. And... Once you got back and you started in that, you also did a lot of TA or not TAs. You did a lot of field ops in that and got to practice it. Right. Can you speak a little bit about your experience with field ops in that role? Yeah. Um, so I've done a couple of field ops uh, in the role I'm currently in, which has been very interesting because I'm kind of like in my own world in a sense because um, I am the one of one, one of two in mm-hmm. the entire unit. Um so some people kind of let me do my own thing, which is nice. Um, but as far as field ops, um, still just like a normal corpsman, get to help out whatever I need to help out with. Um, but when it comes down to, um, I would say more advanced procedures that maybe the provider is busy with something or medication administration or setting up a ventilator or other stuff like that. I'm kind of the, the guy for that when no one else is around or busy. Um, I don't want to say that. 
then also I would say as in field training, there's a lot of white space uh, when nothing's going on. Um, so with the schoolings I've done, I'm expected to teach what I've learned, mm-hmm. uh, which is where that kind of comes into play, uh, teaching the normal general duty corpsman how to do a little bit more advanced procedures, not super advanced, but enough to not kill somebody um, or save a life. As far as like vent, vent settings or blood administration, medication administration, uh, or other different little procedures like that, or just a normal trauma assessment. Which, if you have worked in a, if you're a quadro corpsman that worked in the ICU, this stuff wouldn't be the first time you saw it, right? Right. right. You're kind of like a higher educated ICU corpsman. Yeah. Is that accurate? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, a, I would say probably put a little twist of a paramedic that is pretty good with ICU care as well. Yes. So, Longer not not, than, a, not an expert, but getting there but you have to have a little bit more education and more skill or wider scope because an ambulance ride on a paramedic is only you know driving for like an hour or so but with with in-route care you could be it it could be longer than that right or it could be shorter too right okay yeah it's really cool because you 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 say you teach the general duty corpsman, but you are a junior yep. general duty corpsman. Yep, which is also you're like the honorary SMT. Yeah. We'll, we'll call it that because you did a lot of the schools that are in the pipeline for SMT. Yeah, the only thing I have left is aircrew school and SEER. So, and you probably will, you may see that at your next, possibly, possibly if they send you. Uh, okay, so I know you still have a little bit of time left. You recently got your order, so you're you're about to be in PCS mode. Right. And I'm glad I'm able to get you on here before you leave. Um, how how would you compare your experience with Greenside, even though yours is wildly different than a majority of the corpsmen, versus the clinic and that short stint you did on a actual ship? Um, I would say, like you said, it's a little bit different. Um, we are at an LCE unit, so um, that was a little bit different than what I thought I was getting myself into. All my mentors in the Navy, they've always been prior uh, ground combat element. Yeah, the uh, division corpsman. guys, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Salty, second class. they probably were classes. like combat vets and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Many of my mentors have multiple cars, combat action ribbons, and yeah, NAMs of Valor and all that stuff. So very highly respected men. Yeah. Um, but that's what I thought I was getting myself into. Um, showing up, it's a little bit different uh, because we are the logistics component, mm-hmm. right? So we're in the rear with the gear, whatever else you need. We're not on the front line. So it was a little bit different. But comparing that to Blue Side, I will say it's, it's not super different, but it's not super similar in that sense. Because you're away from the Navy component, but you're also not in the field every week with like the division is. Yeah, we don't go. We go to the field not as much. I'll just say that as division guys who go out like you know monthly. Right. Yeah. Every month out for a weekend or something. I try to explain to people that like definitely not just random people. I try to explain to the new guys that show up, right? Because like I've said before, I've I, I run the FMF program here, mm-hmm. and it's wildly different than you know division or air. I try to explain to them that yeah. Maybe you don't want to be here. Maybe you don't think this is cool. Maybe you don't want to get it because you think it's fake because it's not division. Mm-hmm. But there is a very real significance to what we do. 
it just may not be the high speed stuff. It may not be the you know shooting guns and hanging out with the boys and you know the Marines and whatnot. We're also not in an active conflict right now, so a lot of people aren't seeing what we're supposed to be doing day to day. So maybe a little frustrating. Things may change in the yep. future, and yep. then everything we're talking about is out the door. Exactly. Yeah, we'll we'll see how that. Not wishing on that, at least. So, are you trying to do? I think I I think that kind of wraps up your you know kind of your career path so far. Mm-hmm. We haven't really touched on you know rank and leadership and all that aspect, and I'm, I'm kind of glad we haven't yet. I kind of want to save that for its own little bubble because I, my main intent here is to sh- share. This is what a you are what a corpsman is, right? You you have a diverse career path, and I, I think your story needs to be shared. Um, but I want to focus on that. Hey, you're an E5, but you're literally one of the most trained and educated corpsmen I know. I'm sure there's more like IDCs and SOIDCs. Like, mm-hmm. All those guys are obviously you know tip of the spear, if you want to call it that. It, but I have a big pet peeve, or I have a big initiative where I think our E5 and below really need to maintain that medical skill set longer, right? You are a junior corpsman in the definition of you're still zone A. Mm-hmm. You know, you you haven't re-enlisted yet, right? Right. And you're an E5. So technically, by the book, you're a junior guy. But you're showing leadership aspects in the non-traditional way because you're not an ALPO. You're not an LPO. You're not leading a group of people. But you're the subject matter expert for... Your trade, right? right? Which is in route care, and you have a plethora of, you know, sick call and Corman fundamental skills. And I think that's what's important that we need to be pushing, or that's the agenda we need to be pushing. Is cool leadership will come in the in the traditional sense that you'll be a manager of a clinic or a manager of a platoon, you know, company, whatever. And I'm glad that you have stuck to the what it is to be a corpsman. But I want to also talk about leadership. Have you have you been in a role where you're an LPO, LPO, work center soup? Have you fulfilled that yet? So, like you said, I took a very untraditional route. Um, where I'm at now is, so the unit that we're at, we have, we're very top heavy, per se. Um, not a lot of opportunities for E5s to get out there and lead Not in even a traditional sixes. sense. Yeah. Uh, but since then, I've been put TAD with another unit uh, out here. And since I fulfill a NEC billet, I am not allowed to be in an Alpo or Work Center Soup or anything like that position. Um, but like you said, I took a little bit different path. But because of that, I try to take my leadership in a different approach. Uh, not necessarily the most admin approach, but as far as like sailorization for my guys, make sure they're okay mentally, physically. Um, I, I do all the PTs for my guys, uh, physical training sessions, um, teachable C sessions. Which, that's almost more important. As an yeah. e, I would rather have an E5 as in my platoon or, or department that can go out and teach teachable C and PT a group of people. Yep. That's what I want. I don't want some dude trying to write evals at E5. I, that's my job. I will teach you that. Mm-hmm. 
And I think you're going to get maybe chin-checked or, you know, kicked in the teeth a little bit when you go to Blue Side Command. You're not. But if you ever get to there and you don't have that experience, sure. You're probably going to have a steep learning curve. Yeah. But like, who cares? Yeah. That learning, learning how to write evals and LPO and that kind of stuff just comes with time. Where the traditional or, or actually leading a group of people, you're already going to have that. Because you're, you're instructing. You're, you're leading by example. You're, you are a subjectmatic expert. And I wish other people would follow suit. Right. I'm not saying it's a, you know, a systemic issue or anything like that. But I have seen where it would be nice to people would do the similar similar career path as as you have gone. So you you're not you're like you said you're not allowed to do that traditional LPO Alpo whatever. What has your experience been as an instructor since you are a subject matter expert? Yeah, instructor instructor is a little bit different. Um, because you're not necessarily the admin guy for all of your platoon or whatever you want to call them, um, so you get to get a little bit more personal with your with your guys instead of being the very important. Yep, instead of being like your LPO versus junior sailor battle, um, I get to kind of be the middleman and um, kind of hash out some differences that may be misinterpreted or anything like that, mm-hmm. or figure out what's going on in someone's you're life. You're the filter, exactly. Yeah. Yep. Um, so that's that's been pretty cool. I've I guess that's my first uh, leadership uh, aspect I've kind of seen. Uh, but instructing is just a totally different game. Because um, I'm a very introverted person by, by nature. Same. But, yeah, but being an instructor, you have to learn how to be a little bit of an extrovert. Uh, Public speaking. In the community. And yep. Teaching medical uh, knowledge that you learned about a year ago that you have to articulate very intelligently. How to answer questions on the fly. Yep. All that is very difficult, and a lot of people are, are not good at that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So that's been uh, it's been interesting. It's a good to get myself out of my shell. So it's been nice. Yeah. I I, w- I would like to see more junior guys start teaching because I, I I started teaching later in the game, and it shows. I'm pr- I'm pretty good now. I've, yeah. I've had to do it so often. I had to do so many briefs with people who are higher ranking than me it kind of you kind of have to learn as you go also i've been through schooling where they teach you more about oral presentations mm-hmm. so that that does help but teaching also re or it solidifies the information that you learned right which yeah. is very important that's the best way to teach one that you know it the information is by teaching it so exactly okay uh i want to move on to your thoughts your stories your experience with the FMF pin here. How was how was your time getting it on this platform? Right. So me and you checked in roughly the same time. Uh, so we went through our uh, units, FMF academy or schooling, whatever you want to call it. The yeah, program. class. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was very checkbox I would say. Mm. They yeah. went through the material. They said everything they needed to say. Then at the end, they just signed everything just so it looked good on those individuals who were teaching the course or program. Maybe it shouldn't be an eval bullet. Yeah. Maybe it shouldn't be a requirement. Yeah. And you would get rid of that. Which the Navy has gone away with that for other program pins and everything like that. Yeah. Or for devices. Right. Isn't it, I'm shooting from the hip here, isn't it like first time sailors on a boat, 
they have to wait till the events or they have to wait till they get to E five, I believe, unless they've had an EP in the past. Right. There's a there's eligibility, which makes it a incentive, right? Exactly. Yeah. I wish <clears throat> we would bring more incentive to the FMF pin here. Well, not here, just across the board. Right. So you said it's checkboxy. How was your How was your murder board though? Uh, the murder board was totally not what I expected following that course. Because you did it with a different unit right. than the organic unit because right. you were TAD at the time, correct? Yep, we were TAD to a different place, platform, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, from that, the murder board, I really studied my butt off for a couple weeks mm-hmm. and then until I was finally ready. I just kind of got pushed into it. I didn't really want a murder board because I was one of those. And then someone just told me, here's your date, your murder boarding, which I think everybody should do because that... Once you set a timeline, you're you're kind of pressing against the clock. I didn't feel the pressure until I said, "Here's my date." Exactly. And then everything yeah. like then you turn in the turbo mode, <laughs> start studying. Yeah, I studied like five days straight, no yep. sleep. My yep. family hated me. Yeah. Yeah, but I had long hours. I got to study uh, eight to twelve hours a day minimum. We had a lot of downtime at that time. Yeah. Yep. And um, I just picked a day. Then um, I had three other board members boarding with me. So you boarded with other people? Right, yeah. And how many people were on the board, like, um, questioning you? I had, I believe, five, which four were corpsmen and one was another rate, an LS, so. Okay. Logistics, so. Cool. Uh, yeah, because the FMF pen is not medical, right? right. It's yeah. literally just integrating with the Marine Corps. Yeah, Fleet Marine Corps, baby. Yeah. Uh, my, my experience was much different. I did it by myself. I had three people on my board. Uh, did you do it in one go, or did you have to do multiple sessions? I did my murder board in one go. Um, I was the only one to pass, though. Uh, the other three people did not pass because I guess they were just Get wrecked. Yeah. <laughs> so I was the only one that was able to schedule a final board. Cool. Which to me was, I don't know why, but it was harder than my murder board, which is not normally the case. Not normally the case where you're at here, right? I've, right. And I've talked to many people up and down the rank where they're like, no, my final board was harder than the you know, murder board and, or I've had people where like the murder board was days long mm-hmm. and it was nonstop and it was kind of like you were kind of run through a murder board versus where like here it's like I'm requesting this date we'll set it up for you right. and it's not as intense right it's very formal I think on one of our TDs you remember you seen the guys where they were getting rushed in the room out in the room and they were they all looked like they just saw a ghost yep like, that was a different different uh, division right yep, so they exactly. had it they had a very different you know, experience. Do you think you actually understood the information when you walked out of that final board? Or did it take time teaching back? Because you are a coordinator, right? Mm-hmm. So you actually bring back, or you, you give back to the, the command via the program, right? Do you think you learned more after the fact? Or were you like, no, I know, I know what I know after the final board? So during the final board, all I knew, looking back, was what I needed to know, what was in the book, studied the ditties. Kind of checked the box. Exactly. Right? But after, like you said, I'm a coordinator now. I get to teach all the information to all my junior sailors. And from that point, I started getting asked why. Why is it like this? Why mm-hmm. do they do that? Why do they do this? You know? Yeah. So that makes you start, okay, let me look into it. Let me actually get answers um, and know why these people are doing this type of stuff. Um, so I definitely know more now. I did after I passed my final board, which was very interesting. 
that's what I'm struggling with right now as the cor- as the battalion coordinator because I want people to know the why at the final board. Mm-hmm. But it's very hypocritical. Yeah. It's very Just hard like, when you're not seeing those platforms that you're studying. Or say before. someone gets their pen in the first six months. Yeah. Have you done TAD? Exactly. Have you done field ops enough yeah. to where you understand how LCE works with other units right. and exactly. what we actually do? No, you don't. It takes that year or two years out of command to really understand what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Like me now, I understand confidently. I know the I know the material and I know the why. I know the association of you know our region, right? But the day I showed up at my final board, I was a regurgitating robot. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> That's all. And I was nothing more than that. And then when I'm sitting final boards now, it's very f- weird to see people do the same thing. And I want I want something different. But then I have to remember, remember well, I was no different than them. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's like something that I personally struggle with. I want, I want more, but I can't really ask more because that's very hypocritical. And I don't want to do that. Right. But I also want to make the program better, which whatever. Right, which I, I hold myself to a high standard, uh, especially on FMF and different stuff like that. So uh, in return, I hold my guys to a even higher standard, which is, may has caused some turmoil, which my guys, they don't like boarding with me. But because if I say they're good to go, then they're good to go. So I think that's how it should be. You should They should be meeting the same standard you, you did. Now, some people are going to say, well, not everybody's at your standard. Well, it's, a, it's information. Mm-hmm. It's either you know or you don't. Exactly. Yep. Now, there is a coordinator in command who literally will fail pretty much everybody, and no one wants to board with that person. So there is some leniency, too. But, yeah, I don't catch me on your murder board. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll start throwing curveballs and whatnot just to see if you actually know what you're talking about. Exactly. That's how it should be. Yeah. I, I think we're in the right direction at our current command with the program itself. But we'll see. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, when I turn it over, you know, I, I hand off a polished product. Okay, let's. Uh, I want to move forward again. What do you? I, I know on the way over here in the car, we talked extensively about your little side hustle, and I know it's not related to the Navy, but I think it's pretty cool how you're also doing, you know stuff outside the Navy. You want to talk about your experience opening up a little side business, how that inner or inner or what I'm trying to say, how you juggle the time in the Navy versus running a side business as well. Yeah. So it's been very interesting um, to say the least, but about a couple weeks ago, my wife and I purchased uh, a business from her old boss, which my wife, she graduated uh, with a bachelor's of business and entrepreneurship. So this is her little baby. But we, we purchased a business, um, just kind of like a turnkey, uh, little mobile coffee shop, trailer, whatever you want to call it. I think it's a great idea. Yep. Which we both absolutely love coffee. So it Same. turned out to be the exact thing. Yeah. Um, but it's taught me a lot as far as time management because uh, a lot of people want their coffee early in the morning. And we don't start until... We don't open our shop until around six, so that means I gotta wake up an hour prior to that, um, get everything set up. And then once I get everything set up, I have to go to my job, full time W two, right? No military. Um, work all day, during lunch have to go and resupply whatever we're running low on, 
which causes me not to get that lunchtime workout or whatever else. I go back to my normal job um, until the end of the working day. Um, and then from there, I get to come home or then restock, re-prepare all over for the next day, do runs for whatever we need to resupply on um, coffee-wise. So normally don't go to bed until 8 or 9 o'clock or get done with our work till 8 or 9 o'clock. So yeah. it's a full full working day plus some. So you started weekends only, right? No, we're or you, full Sunday through Friday. From the day you started is Sunday through Friday. Yep. So are you are you a, are you heavily in the process in the business aspect of it, or you like the helping hand because your wife, you know, actually is educated in business and finances and whatnot. Right, because this is her baby. This is she's the primary on this uh, on this gig. Mm-hmm. But I help out as much as I can. I'm cashier. I make certain drinks. I know how to drink or certain drinks. I know how to make. Um, she's kind of mastermind behind the barista side of the house. Um, but dealing with the money, the finances, uh, tax codes, um, still trying to teach her how to back up a trailer, but uh, that'll come eventually. <laughs> hopefully. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, but yeah, I assist as much as I can because I know she's the subject matter expert in this realm. Yeah. So help out as much as I can. You enjoy it? Oh, yeah. It's Even though awesome. you're working two jobs? Yeah. Well, that, that part kind of sucks, but it is interesting to figure out my time management um then also i I really enjoy networking which is a huge if you're a small business owner you know networking and advertising is everything when it comes to business Uh, so finding those different small business owners and uh just loyal customers are has been very awesome to try to figure out so that's yeah it's so cool I, i i would love to pick your brain just on that alone but we can do that another time yeah how do you like working with a civilian population? Because I know you don't do it on the base, so you're basically doing everything out in town. Mm-hmm. How is it kind of like interacting with the populace as a civilian person? You're not out there as a military person, right? right? So is that is that cool? Is that refreshing to see what it's like to be... You kind of have your foot halfway out the door. Mm-hmm. You know, I have half my time is in the military, half my time is a civilian. How does that work? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, most of our population that we serve is military spouses. So, Or military the, itself, yeah. right? I mean, we're a big yep. military town. Yeah, huge military town. So that doesn't really help. Um, but just my time working there kind of gives me that taste of freedom, which is a little dangerous. But um, it is nice to see that there is light at the end of the tunnel, if that tunnel is to come, um, which is really refreshing. So to see all the different opportunities that are presenting itself. I have a rule. I don't do more than two weeks of leave. Yeah. It's dangerous. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> At that two-week mark, I'm like, I'm about to put in my, you know, officer refuse, or refuse officer, or, <laughs> or start package. my, I'm, I, I'm starting working on my TRS, you know? Yeah, yeah. I, I get, it's dangerous for me to be growing a beard and not worrying about the military and turn off all my group chats. Yeah, that's like your sweet spot, about two weeks. It's, I don't do more than that. No. Or I'll, I won't come back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Way. So you mentioned that, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I want to segment into, I guess, the last part of the, or the conversation here. What is your plans in the military? You can touch on your next duty station. I don't want to really go in the weeds. I, I, don't, I don't really care for people to know who you are. Just know that you're a corpsman, and this is a career path you can go. But what is your plan from here? You're at six years, right? Mm-hmm. Five, something yep, like that. hit six. You're an HM2. You made rank fast, right? You're dual-qualified. I would say you're very, you're decorated and 
you know, advanced for your year group, right? So what are your plans? Um, so I just submitted my reenlistment paperwork. Um, I'm part, I'm sure I have that. Yep, you'll get that soon. <laughs> um, but, yep, I for the orders I'm going to next, I was required to um, reenlist. So I'll reenlist for another six, and then from there. So let's not talk about just the timeline. Let's talk about timeline. So you have to, you're going to be there for how long? Um, minimum of four, but I can extend out to six. Okay, so I, I yeah, so I don't really care about the actual number, but yeah. it's all I want to get at is that you're going to be there for quite some time, yep. right? More than the normal rotation. Gotcha. So you're going, you went, you went T A D shore duty, what, like two years. You're at this C duty for three, right? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to be going to a special programs, and then which will put you out to like 12 years, right? Yep. So knowing that you see with your side gig, you have, you know, you see the light, you see how it is working a civilian. Do you think that may be the time you step away or are you going to tuck that head and go, I'm going to 20? Yeah. So that's going to be a big battle once I get there. Um, like I said before, networking is key in the Navy, right? And all of anything you do. Um, but my plan is just to try to network with as many people as possible. Um, by the time I'll have more um, clearances mm-hmm. um, than now, currently. Um, so that obviously opens up a lot more doors. Uh, but I'll just kind of weigh my options there. Uh, I would love, if, if I need to stay in, I could always stay in uh, if I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Or if I want to get out and do other contracting stuff, we can do that. So as one well. foot out the door. Yep, exactly. I'm always available to new opportunities. That's how I am, and I try to preach that to the junior guys showing up to our command, or any junior person that is in front of me. Do you think it's worth doing 20? That's a question I've been asking myself, and then asking a lot of other people that have already gotten out or about to get out. So, um, okay, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No. I'm going to rephrase that. So, cause I, my other soapbox is the incentives that we have now. Not you now, because... No, you are. You actually, you signed up to do the reenlistment bonus, right? Right. Because you are a Zone A sailor and going into Zone B. I didn't have that. So, like, 20 years is my incentive, right? I don't right. have this bonus. I don't have a NEC or technician specialty. Neither do you. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's worth it to do 20 as a quad zero, knowing that you don't have any certifications, Let's, let's say minus what you may obtain at your next duty station. Say you just say you're just going to another shore duty and then going doing C and you're just doing your time until twenty. Is it worth doing doing the time? Spending twenty years in the military when when you get out, yeah, you get a pension, but what are you gonna do? You're gonna go to school? Like you're gonna have to do something. You're not right. just gonna be able to get out and not and just work a minimum wage job because you don't have it as quad zeros we don't have specialties or national certifications anything like that right i don't think it would be super smart on my part um which i've i've tried doing my part i've gone to college gotten yeah at least one degree right now um i've gotten my certifications through the navy that would give me flu corpsman uh which from i found out aren't as accredited as we thought um was a lot of people have been saying so i don't think it would be smart just to try to get to the 20 mm-hmm. um versus like a srb i'll be getting um how would I phrase that? I don't think the money from the SRB would necessarily keep
keep me in the Navy if I was... You were, you were enlisting anyway. The yeah. bonus was there. That's yep. why you yeah, took that, it. Exactly. Yep. And why wouldn't you? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I was actually talking about this yesterday with a junior sailor. Um, it's just... it Mathematically, it's not worth it. I would say. Well, that, that's... And you almost can screw yourself because if you do... Okay. For you, it's special circumstance. But if I was just a... If I was just a HM3 or HM2 re-enlisting at my five-year mark for five or six years... I just crossed into zone C. Mm-hmm. Say there is a still, say there is a push for a bonus at zone B, you just screwed yourself. Right. But then if you only re-enlist for two or three, or three years for SRB, because it's the minimum, you did only three or four years to keep you in zone B, then your SRB is basically nothing. Yeah. Because zone, that zone A bonus is not much. Yeah. It's just enough to, to show people the way, I guess. Yeah. Or entice people to re-enlist. Which, that's the whole point. It's a reenlistment yep. bonus. It's an incentive tool. Yeah, I, I think I'm on the same page with you. I have a degree. So, like, I doing 20 is cool with me. I can use my degree when I get out. Yeah. And I think it's very adamant that other people, if you're just chasing a pension, or, you know, the pension is a byproduct of doing your naval service, you need to be doing something personally or do some type of personal education and personal growth to where you're setting yourself up. And I like how you put it, networking. Exactly. There's a whole other side of the Navy called, you know, contractors <laughs> and the GS system that if you get into that when you retire, you're set up pretty good because then you can do 20 more years and have a double pension at 60 mm-hmm. if you join by 20 or less, right? Yeah. Yeah, like you said, as long as you're doing something actively while you're in to better yourself for when you can set yourself up for getting out. So if you, that time comes. So your 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 thought is don't just do your time. You need to be doing more than that. Exactly. Coming to work and going going home isn't the most. That is not where that didn't get you where you are. Exactly. Is what I'm saying. At the end of the day, the Navy's just like any other job. They can replace you tomorrow, right? So as long yeah. as you're doing something to better yourself for when that time comes. Seaway quotas so, go up and down. Yep. When we have too many people, because we recruited too many people. And people are going to be competing for that seaway quota. They're going to be wishing they've got an NEC. They're going to be wishing they got, uh, you know, not a medical NEC, but a, a different specialty, like instructor C school or CCC, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's going to be different. I, I, you know, we haven't been in. Me and you have not been in long enough to see the wave, right? But it will come. Yep. It, it comes every few years. I want to end it on this. What is your What's your charge? What's your, what are you telling yourself when you joined? Or what are you telling to a junior sailor that's just now coming in the Navy? That, What's your uh, motivational speech is what yeah, I'm saying. I say this a lot to my guys because um, I try to do a lot of career coaching. Uh, just not keeping people stagnant. Which is hilarious in the, in the fact that you are a junior sailor. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Not saying that, I'm not saying that demeaning at all because I think you're well ahead of the game. I think you should be putting on... I think you should have a first-class crow, is what I'm saying. I don't say that to anybody. Bold statement. It's a bold, and I, I'll, I'll stand behind it. But you are a junior sailor, and you are able to speak and use that that same phrase, saying what, how you're instructing, how you're mentoring, teaching other junior sailors. Mm-hmm. Because you may not have the you know the highest rank yet. You may not have the highest time in service, but... Your experience level is far beyond those two criteria. Right. Yeah, I've definitely noticed that experience may outrank rank sometimes. So. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, like as you asked, 
I always tell people they need to know like the why, or I'm a very purposeful driven uh, individual. Mm -hmm. So I need to know what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Um, and just, that's how I can get myself uh, gratification, right? If I know I'm doing something for a purpose and that's the easiest way to keep pushing through something. Uh, so that's why I try to tell all my guys is figure out what your why is. And then from there you can start course correcting. So you figure out which path you want to move on to. I like your words. I like your specific terms there. I've heard those before. Okay, well, this wraps it up. I'm very grateful that you came on board to this podcast. Hopefully we can do it in the future. And when you do leave this command, I hope we cross paths again. Yeah, of course. Appreciate having me on, brother. All right, peace. That concludes our episode today. I hope you learned something from this, gained some insight on another unique career path of a corpsman. That's the whole intent of this podcast or this platform is to share those stories of individual corpsmen and their career path. So please join me on the next episode of Hey Doc, Do You Have a Second? See you then.